people, of course, like to think that they are special. That's exciting. It's disappointing to discover otherwise. Oof. The Interplanetary Podcast. The exploration of space for the benefit of all mankind. Your hosts here in London, Matthew Russell and Jamie Franklin. Oh yeah, got got. What have you got? Well, that's very sad, isn't it? I mean, I th- I'd like to think that we are special people. Huh? By we, I mean the human race. I don't mean me and you. No, no. This is a very special podcast because uh, we are coming live. Well, not live. We're just doing it in uh, in, yeah. in a place called Forres in. The Highlands. We're in the Highlands. Hi. It's absolutely beautiful. We got into our little Airbnb where I've got a mattress underneath the bed. <laughs> Although I booked it, I think I should have the bed. No. I... Anyway, we'll argue about that <laughs> no, later. Well, I'm going to be. But anyway, it's my way very beautiful, and we in about half an hour, we're going to be taking a little trip. Where are we going, Matt? We're going to Orbex, and we're going to a rocket factory in the UK. In the UK. Can we just state that? So, so let, let me let me. Just let... We're going to a rocket factory in the UK. I'm so excited. I am pretty excited. And we've got some great interviews lined up. One is with the head of Orbex, so uh, yeah. CEO. CEO. So please listen next week. Yeah, we might even send some little video clips of us messing around in a rocket factory, lighting some fuses. Sounds and dangerous. It does look a little bit, doesn't it? Jamie... The little quote I gave you earlier on was from a guy called John Richard Gott, or more famously known, John J. Richard Gott the Third. J.R.G. the Third. Yeah, J.R.G. the Third. He was born today, February the eighth, back in nineteen forty-seven in Kentucky, and he's a professor of astrophysical sciences at Princeton University. Did I tell you what he's most Same famous? Same as me. <laughs> Well, funnily enough, I, I was airbnb this week with someone who was a nuclear, nuclear physicist, physicist yeah. Yeah, at uh, Surrey University. It's been quite the week. Well, it's been quite the week for intellectual endeavours. Yes, he's quite famous for this thing called the doomsday argument. Now, can you strip this down for us in layman's terms? Do you know what we're going to have right now? Go on. Space word of the week. Which is... Ex- week, week, week. Which week. is exactly that. Doomsday argument. So, Jamie, are you familiar with... It's very similar to the anthropic principle. Oh, know? yeah, I know. <laughs> but what What if other people don't? Well, I mean, explain it to them. Well, let's quickly... Anthropic principle basically yeah. means that the universe has to be a certain way for us to exist. So there's no point worrying about why it is that way. It, the, we're here because it is that way. Hmm. So the only reason why we're here contemplating why is it that way is because it is that way, the anthropic principle. Is it a poncy way of saying it is what it is? It is what it is, yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like it's, there's nothing special going on. We wouldn't be here to contemplate whether there was something special going on if there wasn't something special going on. It's a little bit circular. I think therefore I there's, am. There's about 50 little billion variations on the anthropic principle. But this is, a, this is a very much... It's not a variation on it, but it's similar to, and that's the doomsday argument. Dun, dun, dun. So the, the, simple, the simple kind of one-word line is 
supposing that all humans are born in a random order, right? Mm. Chances are that any one human is born roughly in the middle. So you've got to assume that if you were sampling at random a human being at any point in the history of the universe, they'd roughly be in the middle. That's what you've got to assume. On average, <laughs> that's what would happen, right? Yes. But the worst thing about that, as in this guy called Brando Carter in the Carter catastrophe realised, is that this brings on this thing called the doomsday earlier than you think, statistically Ooh. speaking. So, uh, yeah, this Gottfella, our uh, birthday boy, J. Richard Gott, independently discovered it as well because Carter didn't, I don't think, actually released his paper. And it's similar to the Lindy effect, which is about how old things endure. Oh. So if, if you were trying to work out, say if you found an old car, you think, mm -hmm. well, how much longer is it going to last? The fact that it's an old car probably means it's going to last a little bit longer because it's obviously good. Done quite well, yeah. yeah. Whereas if you come across a new business... You say, well, I wonder how much longer is it going to last? Well, it might be over next week because it's a new business. Where if it's an old business, you go, yeah, it's probably got ages left. Mm. Yeah, you know, it's like, what's going to last longer? Ariane Space or SpaceX? Wow. If we were following the Lindy principle, maybe Ariana Space. I heard this explanation, and I think it's the best one I've heard so far. Say there were a hundred rooms that needed filling with human beings, mm -hmm. and God was flipping a coin. Now, if he flips heads... Which God? God. Sorry, carry on. God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're just God. Okay. Our God, right? Flips a coin fairly, mm -hmm. and it's got to land heads or tails. So <clears throat> there's a 50% chance either way here. If he flips tails, then only 10 of those rooms have people in, right? So rooms 1 to 10 have people in, and the rest don't. Whereas if he flips heads then there are 100 people all filling all the different rooms, okay. right? Now, if you know nothing and you're one of the people inside those rooms, right? At the moment, when you're inside the room, there's a 50-50 chance that there's either 10 people alive in the universe or 100 people alive in the universe, right? Right. Right. Now, if you step outside the room and notice that your room number is room number seven, for example, at this point, there's a 91% chance that there's only 10 people alive in the universe. It, there's a whole heap of statistical stuff that you have to go through, by the way, to get to that answer. Okay. It's a Bayesian kind of analysis of chance, and it's really complicated. And that's why these geniuses like Gott and etc. are kind of on it. So there's a 91% chance at that point. And you can kind of intuitively see that if you're in room number seven. There's a 91% chance. So there's a 9% chance that all the rooms are full. But if you find yourself in room seven, there's 91% chance there's only 10 people in the 10 people in this universe. Right? I'm going to say I'm with you. Okay, right. So the doomsday argument says this. It says, imagine if 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 right <laughs> if right now there's 60 billion people, but but the human population might vary between like doomsday soon and doomsday later. If doomsday soon happens, there'll only ever have been a hundred billion people. But if doomsday later happens, there'll be a trillion people, right? Mm -hmm. 
and you don't know anything about this, and then suddenly you're picked out and you go, right, where do I find myself? And you find yourself in this early 60 billion people that have ever existed, right? That's where you are, which is the exact same thing as finding yourself in the first 10 rooms or finding yourself in room seven in this 100, oh. 100 chalet universe that we had, right? Which means we're actually nearer to our doom than we would have been. We're 91% certain that doomsday is is near. We're in- yeah. Well, me and you were just in a cafe saying that we're all right with death. Mm. So uh, we're not bothered, are we? No, no, no. Bring it on. So, that, yeah, that doomsday. Although, don't bring it on quite so soon because we've got a lot of podcasts to do. I'm sure there's loads of things in here and there's just loads and loads. I think counter, it doesn't doesn't feel intuitively correct, does it, that you can just sort of say to yourself, oh, well, I'm 91, just because I'm here now, I'm 91% certain that the end of the, the end of humanity is just round the corner. Yeah, Def- defined just round the corner, though. Well, it's, it's the sooner rather than later scenario. Well, we're halfway through our sun, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. So we only, oh, bloody hell, Matt, we've only got another five billion years of energy. <laughs> yeah, and it's kind it's, I think insurance companies have to take all this into consideration, mm. all these statistical things. It gets really, really difficult. But I tell you what, the doomsday, it, the doomsday argument really isn't, it shouldn't be called the doomsday argument. That is a misnomer, apparently, because have, you've heard this one, and I'm sure it's, it's loads of people say, did you know that more people exist now than have ever existed, right? Have you heard that one, where people say that, right? Yeah. Which is it's absolutely not true. Well, it's just nonsense. More people have died of malaria than are alive now. <laughs> so, mm. so they reckon it's something like 107 billion people have lived on Earth so far. Yeah. And there's only 7 billion around at the moment. So it's considerably less. Which means, actually, if we're, if 107 billion people have existed and life lifespans expand and and medicine gets better and the population stops increasing we're actually a long way off doomsday yeah for sure statistically speaking got got it down to about we're about eight million years away i like doomsday (laughs) i like the stat that is out of all of the plant and animal life Mm. there's only one percent of what there's ever been left that's amazing isn't it yeah 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 well, actually, that plays into that plays into these doomsday arguments as well. The other one is, and sorry to interrupt, but yeah. think about that. Think about how well evolved everything that we have now is. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, that, that, now that's now you're playing into the Lindy effect. Oh, what? So, yeah. How cool is that? But here's here's a really interesting one. There's also. Have you ever heard of the doomsday clock? Where it's like how yeah. close we are to having a nuclear accident yeah. and wiping ourselves out. Mm. Well, you can do the same. The doomsday argument, obviously, at the moment, the way we framed it, doesn't stand next to that because we we put doomsday at eight million years away, where mm. it can't possibly be. In the doomsday clock, is like we're at twenty three fifty eight or something, so we're only two minutes away from death. Mm. But if you if you take the human population that's existed since nuclear bombs were available, mm. then that's not been very long. So we are really close to the doomsday yeah. doomsday end. Matt, this is all getting very depressing. Do we have any good news? Good news, of course we've got some good news. Of course we've got some good news. Shall we start with some European shizzle? Yeah. So Ariane. Love them. Yeah. 
Ariane, the Ariane Group have just finalised the definition review of the Prometheus Get in. engine. And I know you like the just you just like the word Prometheus. I like the word Prometheus. I just like the film, <laughs> which I hate. Oh, which it's a terrible film. It doesn't matter. It, it just makes me feel awful. like a kid. Awful. So the European Space Agency, CNES and DLR, not the Docklands Light Railway. Mustn't get confused. No. The German Space Agency, of course, are um, uh, have yes, have all decided that uh, this Prometheus engine has has got to the point where they they're, they're quite confident that it's that it's the the path forward. So they're going to be building the demonstrators that should be on the test stands by twenty twenty. So this is yes, this is Ariane's version. I suppose that's only next year. Yeah. So we should. Yeah. So hopefully we'll see uh, the Europeans making some headway on that. And uh, our friend Paul Fjeld, mm. he sent in this article, which which isn't great news for Ariane. Oh. So the French... It's like <laughs> so a roller coaster, well, we'll, 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 we'll finish with good news. Okay. But, they, but the French government uh, basically have a spending audit. Some They get a, a professional independent company to come in and, and sort of have a look and say what was good spending, what was bad spending okay. by the French government. And they've basically been pretty scathing of the Ariane 6 project. Oh. Saying that it's too cautious, right? That it's that it's very doubtful that it has any kind of long-term competitive edge. Oh. And so obviously they're looking at people like SpaceX and Blue uh, Blue Origin thinking yeah, they, they, these guys are—they're innovating and they're creating some. Like, but does then that mean that they're going to give them more money so that they can be more, you know, that uncautious? So yeah, see that's see that is where it's at. So it's been seen as a fairly veiled um, attack, really, on Air, the, the Ariane Group. Now, I, it's really confusing. Ariane Space about basically the commercial arm, so they're the people that contract flights and stuff like yeah. that but Ariane Group are really Airbus and Safran in the background mm. as a as a big industrial complex like a big massive European industrial complex of Airbus and Safran in the background and it's kind of this report is having a little go at them for basically all the money going to them to just develop technology that they've already really got just right. a little bit further and what they're saying is the money like the Americans have done, like NASA have done, is reached out to people like Elon, your entrepreneurs like Elon Musk's and your Jeff Bezos's and mm. people like that, and said, "Like, why don't you do something technologically amazing? Why don't you go and do something really innovative?" And that's not something that large lumbering companies can do particularly well, but right. it is something that companies, I suppose, like Orbex, they can do really, really well. So it's like, especially think, when they're getting lovely. Huge chunks of money from private equity firms. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's like, yeah. So, it, well, you, that's why you have that those public, public venture capitalists. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Well, you get exactly. Well, you get. Um, well, and pension. Thirty million risk. pension funds and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. In, like yeah. I was uh, a lot of these space companies are actually owned by pension companies, <laughs> pension funds. It's but really Orbex weird. have got a great thing, and we'll talk more about this this evening, obviously. Um, but they've got a great thing because small satellites need to be either replaced or repaired between three and five years. And the amount of people who want to put CubeSats and small satellites into the air now, into orbit... Definitely it's, not it's, in the air. <laughs> space. It's huge, <laughs> huge business for them. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's the other thing, is that there's been a massive slowdown of geostationary, like your massive satellites, and that's what Ariane 5 and Ariane 6 are built for. They're built for putting huge satellites up. Now, that market slowed down, so that, that's a little bit worrying. And, of course, if you're up against, if you're up against SpaceX that are doing it at half the price, then you're never going to win those contracts. But, of course, the Europeans need their own access to space. We can't rely on America. Although mm. the British, that's exactly what we said. <laughs> we yeah, literally cancelled our, our rockets so that, and just said, well, we're just going to rely on America to do it, which is what we've done up until now, up until, until very, very, very now. recently, where it looks like that. Well, we'll still we'll only have small sat access to space, but that might be all that's required these days. If you think about it, Ariane Space was the first, in inverted commas, uh, commercial space company. They were the first people, and they've been unbelievably successful. There's a super huge percentage of satellites up that were launched by Ariane Space, like mm. over 50% or something ridiculous. Wow. So it's like for them to be losing ground now is actually really worrying for the French and, and European partners, Spain and mm. Netherlands and all that lot. So, But, yeah, anyway, Ariane 6 is really important because it's 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 our access into into space, and, of course, it's lots of jobs and all these different participating countries and stuff like that yes this prometheus thing that we talked about earlier on yes. maybe maybe they'll 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 get it going and it and, it, and they'll get re reusability with their little methane engine well here's to hoping yeah yeah but in the meantime ariane 5 see i told you i'd end on a good note yeah see ariane 5's had its first flight of the year and and, it, and it's launched a couple of pretty big satellites one from india a gsat 31 mm -hmm. Um, one from Lockheed Martin for uh, called the Saudi GeoSat, which presumably is for Saudi Arabia. You would have thought so. Well, welcome yeah. to 2019, yeah. Ariane 5. Ariane 5. And there'll be a, apparently another five Ariane 5 missions, so six in total. And uh, the new Vegas C, of course, will make up at least 12 flights for Ariane Space this, this Vegas C which of course uses the Ariane 6 common solid booster, which they've all been told off for not being innovative enough. Oh. Talking of methane engines. Yeah. Musk's been at methane. Oh. He's not just hot air. You mean sniffing it? Yeah, he's not just hot air out of his mouth. I saw some lovely photos of him testing yeah. a latest engine. Yeah, exactly. Looked so, good. Yeah. Oh, wow, yeah. I mean, the, good. The, 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 how ace is that footage where it goes very, very bright and then you see the those d diamonds... Pretty good, uh, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's, it's so cool. Yeah, so yeah, they've been testing their Raptor engine on Sunday. Say what you want about SpaceX, but they know how to make things look cool. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, at McGregor, Texas, blasting it around, uh, and they've been so they've been testing uh, non-flight versions since 2016. Mm -hmm. But that is actually a flight version of the of the rocket engine, creating 440,000 pounds worth of thrust. The actual engine may be one of the three that's going to go on that recently toppled and damaged Starship oh, yes. hopper, which is uh, for when it does its little hopping test. The lovely little, looking beast. Yeah, the grass hopping Starship. It, Can't wait. The word is that it's a sim simplified version from what they really wanted to do. Mm. So they're starting off slightly more basically and thinking about its use to get to the moon rather than its use to get to... Um, Mars. Yes. So it's simplified. 
it actually makes you realise that the B4 by Blue, or by Blue Origin is actually amazing because yeah. that's like finished and, and it's being sold out to, uh, to rivals like ULA. And I wonder if, um, I'm actually wondering if Prometheus or Raptor will ever get sold to other rocket companies. Ooh, there's a thought. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see how they stack up together. Once Should we offer it, offer once it off to Orbex? Yeah, let's do it. Let's say, are you ever going to stick a methane engine on the bottom of your rocket? Just what I'm asking. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, have you heard about the crew of the International Space Station mopping up? No, what's this? You know you know when you mess around with your with your plumbing sometimes? Oh, yeah. And you... Is that a euphemism? <laughs> yeah, but because in your case, yeah. That's a daily activity, yeah. <laughs> yeah, when you mess around with and you, and you spill loads of stuff all over oh, the floor. Oh, yeah. It's exactly what's happened on the International Space Station. Yeah. They've, they've accidentally pulled out a pipe while trying to do some plumbing, and uh, loads and loads of eleven liters of water in the in the International just Space Station just floating around, just floating around. So yeah, yeah, you can't mop that up. How do you how do you get it back? Apparently, they cleaned it up with a significant number of towels. Oh yes, but they apparently cleaned it up, repaired the toilet, and it's back to normal operations. Literally, yeah. Well. Thank goodness for that. And did you see the video? This the videos, lots of lots of you know uh, smartphone footage of the meteor that went across uh, Cuba on Friday. I did see some of this. Yeah, very exciting. Yeah, it was pretty. That's very. I tell you what, it was like. It was very similar, wasn't it, to the um, that one in Russia a few years ago. Yes. Not as big as that. But yeah, they, everyone's out. Like, I, I think it'd be really exciting to sort of see it. Pretty and then, clear and skies, then, I imagine. Yeah, and then go out and find all the little bits of it because they've yeah. been finding all bits of meteorite. I think that's I'll really cool. I'll be up on eBay. Yeah, no one injured and uh, no real reports of any damage. That is a miracle. Well, not really because no one's ever been killed by a meteorite. That's just bizarre, isn't it? But someone has been killed by a cow falling through their house. Yeah. <laughs> and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Bit weird. Remember. Remember. Remember uh, Marco A and Marco B, the two CubeSats. I do remember. So, yes, they're the first two CubeSats ever to venture into deep space. Wait, is this your space fact of the week? No. No, it's still... Listen, we're on still space news. Oh. We're not going to get a space fact this well, week. Well, this could be it. Yeah, this could be space it. Space facts <laughs> of, of the week. week. Yes, yeah, so the first two CubeSats ever to venture into deep space, ever, have gone mysteriously silent. Uh-oh. I think that they've smashed into an alien spacecraft. Do you think they've fallen into the lip of the event horizon? Yeah, no. Therefore, you can they can see the back of their head. <laughs> <laughs> is no, that what's happened? No, do you, that, that, what film is it where there's like something like Voyager whizzing through space and then it suddenly hits an enormous spaceship? Oh, yeah. That's like, that's a common film trope, isn't it? Yeah, I think I think it uh, is on its yeah, way sure. to Earth. Yeah, and you and you often get some kind of deep <clears throat> noise. Yeah, yeah, yeah like some, yeah, yeah. typical good. Hans Zimmer kind of. You've been practicing that. <clears throat> that's like a spaceship noise. That was like circular breathing. Mm. It was a bit like it was a bit like yeah uh, yeah. Your didgery. It was a bit like Cuban throat singing, <laughs> of which there's no such thing. No. <laughs> There's Cuban cigars, though. It's very similar. There's Mongolian throat singing. Yeah, there is Mongolian throat singing. Yeah. That's what it was like. Good, that. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. But I was trying to tie it in with the meteorite. Well, I think you got I away with it. Yeah, yeah. 
So Marco, yes, these two CubeSats, Jamie, you're not mm. distracting me, two CubeSats that they flew at, they their first ever CubeSats that went into deep space with Mars Insight Rover. Mm -hmm. Remember that? Remember the Mars Insight Rover? Do I? That landed recently. Well, one of the reasons why we got all the information back very, very quickly is it went out with these two little CubeSats that relayed the information back and they worked I think probably better than expectations. Nice. So these two things have been a real, real success. Imagine like two fairly cheap, well, in fact, incredibly cheap. It's something like $18.5 million mm. but for, for two spacecraft that have gone to Mars and relayed back information were really useful, took measurements and loads of other stuff. But they've gone silent. Oh. And I think one of the reasons is possibly because the sun is so faint now that the solar panels aren't able to, the sensor that points the solar panels at the sun might not be picking up the sun enough to be able to point the solar panels at the sun so they've run out of power. Wait, are you saying it's not because Elon's tried to nuke Mars to release the CO2? Oh, maybe maybe there was nukes on board. I'm just saying. Oh yeah, maybe maybe they've been knocked out yeah. by the EMP off, off Musk's nukes. Let's call Marcus Allen, let's get him back on. That's that's it. it uh, I mean, this is ripe for conspiracy theory. It is. The fact that there's two CubeSats and they both disappeared off the... It's just, off, you know... Out of communication. Wow. Don't believe what everyone's telling you. But yes, they're, they're cutely called Eva and Wally. Remember remember the two little characters yeah. from Wally? One of my favourite... Do you know what? I think it's the greatest animation of all time. Uh, it's got to be... It's definitely got to be up there. I'm trying to think what is... Any film that ends with a bit of Peter Gabriel is all right in my book. That's pretty good. Yeah, that was, the, that was the bonus. It's like, how can this film get much better? And then up pops the Gabriel. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the, the CubeSats, it could, be, it could be that. It could be that they've been destroyed by interstellar radiation, crackled to death. Because they weren't, I don't suppose they were particularly heavily protected. One of the CubeSats was having a leaky thruster. Talking about their talking about their thrusters, they're cold gas thrusters. Yeah. So in actual in actual fact, they do manoeuvre in exactly the same way that Wally and Eva were manoeuvring in the film. Mm. Are using the fire extinguisher, which is a cold gas thruster. Hence the name, Eva and Wally. Well, my uncle had a leaky thruster Eva. once. But he just got some antibiotics. Jamie. Yes. Who's our interview with? Stephen Ringler. Nice. Yeah. He was. <laughs> I don't want to say it like that. <laughs> no, he really was one of our favourite ever people um, that we've had on the show. I know we always say that, but this guy was amazing, wasn't it? Because it's sort of we didn't really know much about him, no, other it... than he had the ma amazing space store, which I'm now slightly obsessed with. By the way, we need to organise a visit down to his place because he said that we can try on some spacesuits. Yeah, you know we got to go. To, we got to go to the Harwell, uh, yeah, business park. That's what we've got to do. And definitely do. Uh, have a listen to this because it's really, really exciting. Yeah. He's a friend of Harriet's and we interviewed him the day before we interviewed Kate Howes, also a friend of Harriet's, which was all just a we bit miss of you, Harriet. All of All of Harriet's contacts, they'll get to us eventually. But the coolest thing about Stephen was he did the entire interview while driving his car. Yeah, he was Skype. driving and we thought, is this going to work? <laughs> it worked. And it was fine. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So, Ikute. Roll it. I, I think in the context of what we're doing, because um, I, I, I work, uh, I have a complicated life, uh, but I am officially the head of future business at the Satellite Applications Catapult. 
Um, so I am looking at new business opportunities for the space sector, trying to help promote space satellite applications through small, medium-sized enterprises, startups, uh, large companies as well. Uh, but one of the things they've assigned me to, um, and I've been working on since August um, for pretty much almost all of my time, is something called Space Store. Uh, and so the way to, to introduce me from that perspective is uh, I'm the CEO and founder of the Space Store. Um, yeah, building up a team that's going to bring space to everybody everywhere every day. I think you've introduced yourself. I think we can. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess what would be really good is if we went right back to the start and and how you first got interested in space. Yeah, I mean, it's really two things. My grandfather worked on the Apollo missions, which is awesome. Very awesome. And Star Trek, I admit it. Whoa. That's the double whammy there. So I get I get it from both, you know, the historic side of space plus the the, the future of what potential peaceful utopian federation <laughs> led uh anyway, no, i'm kidding i'm kidding so yeah but i did i did like star trek i do want to be jean-luc picard when i grow up um that that is a, that is a goal well, it's funny because i want to be william shatner when i grow up oh me too <laughs> i can see that we're going to have a little bit of a debate next time we meet up in person but that's cool <laughs> <laughs> i think i would trust uh, Picard more than I would trust Kirk, but come on, Kirk's so but much cooler. I was going to say Kirk has more fun, so yeah, this exactly. is true. So, Stephen, just a question about the Apollo missions. What, how early were you when you realised uh, the gravitas of, of of what your grandfather was? Was it your father or your grandfather? My grandfather. Your grandfather. What he was doing. How 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 old were you? You know that that's a really good question because. Um, I was, I, you know, I can't remember exactly how old I was when he passed away, but it was sometime between the ages of like eight and 10, I think. And yeah. that's when, you know, we started, you know, I, I didn't actually know him very well. Uh, but then we, you know, as he passed away, we, we looked through all of his stuff and I just like came across all these pictures. I have a Saturn V model that he was given when he worked for Boeing. Um, and I still keep that on my desk. Uh, and it was really then when I was like, oh, my gosh, this is what he worked on. Like, this is in my genes. Like, you know, he contributed to sending people to the moon. Uh, that was uh, yeah, that was about the time when it kind of really struck me. And I am a weird kid, uh, a weird person. I, I basically at around eight to ten, I was like, I'm going into astronomy or something in space. And I did. I I was the president of the astronomy club when I was in uh, high school. I Got, I started in university as a aerospace engineer, and I graduated as an aerospace engineer. And the first company I worked for was called the Aerospace Corporation, which was all about space. So, uh, and, and haven't looked back since. Amazing. <laughs> so, so space truly is in your blood. Yeah, that's that's quite funny. I I wanted to be either a rock musician or a, or an astronomer, essentially the new Brian May, but it 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 never kind of worked out either way. So wow. never, never, have, never split the difference between your ambitions. Go for one or so the other. The, that's really funny because I actually, the university I wanted to go to would have let me double major in music and uh, aerospace engineering. What? So I, could, so I could postpone that decision of what I wanted to do with my life until after uh, or until the end of university. Uh, so no, same exact goal, either rock band um, or... Uh, 
astrophysicist or uh, aerospace engineer. So I'm with you on the Brian May thing. <laughs> Excellent. I, incredible. They, well, maybe I'll go. I'll go opposite because you know he just released a book like a month ago, which is like amazing. Um, that we sell at the space store, uh, where it's got all these stereographic images um, in the book, so it's like a 3D book. Oh yeah. Uh, so so I'm gonna go the opposite way. So you know he he went you know awesome guitar. Paris Queen, etc. Astrophysicists, kind of people are learning about that now. I'm gonna go the other way, so I'll be a, I'll be a famous uh, famous rock star, well, maybe I, in my my fifties or sixties. <laughs> with with uh, with Jamie Jamie and myself in the band, I hope. I'll, well, what do you, what do you guys play? Let's see if we got the band uh, well, uh, mix right. I'm I'm a guitarist, keyboard player, and Jamie, you're a. I'm a rhythm guitarist. Yeah. Awesome. So, well, and who could... needs a bass player? So there we go. We're good. I got the drums. Sweet. <laughs> maybe Done. maybe I'll, I'll demote myself to, to bass. That, that'd be fine. I feel bad for all the bass players that are listening to this podcast right now and how offended they are. Well, they, if they, I, if I, they know it in their hearts. They know it. In... <laughs> if, you know what? In, in hindsight, if I could do it all over again, I would totally be a bass player. Totally be a bass player. Yeah. Easy life at the back. I like it. <laughs> well, they're such a, neat, a needed commodity. And, I mean, let's face it. They play one note the whole time. How freaking easy is that? <laughs> That's very true. Well, and they, choose, true. Yeah, they, they have more influence than you think, don't they? That they choose. <laughs> they basically choose what chord you're playing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, he's going. He's going a different direction. Yeah, well, I wasn't oh, yeah. expecting no, we, that. We've got to go with him. <laughs> exactly. Paul McCartney did all right. Yeah, <laughs> he's you know so so. He's doing okay, ticking over. Yeah, he's, you know, still got a career ahead of him. So, so Stephen, okay, so we're going into so okay, so that's that's childhood. So going into your career, what kind of things were you doing uh, in, in the aerospace world? So my uh, career started off um, focusing on pointing systems, um, control systems. So systems on spacecraft that um, regulate variables, but in particular, the uh, area I focused on was making sure pointing point, the spacecraft pointed in the right direction uh, or an instrument on board pointed in the right direction. Uh, so I spent probably a good seven years uh, working, um, working on those. So um, that looked like whether that was, um, you know, designing an actual system, reviewing somebody else's system, uh, or I mentioned earlier when we were talking, I worked uh, for JPL for about 40 concept missions. So looking at uh, going to Mars, going to Jupiter, one of Jupiter's moons, um, and how we could take a mission there, uh, whether it was a rover or a, a, a satellite um, or, or even something more, you know, you know, it, it could be even different than that, that we would send over to another planet. Um, so that was kind of the foundation of my, my career as an engineer. Uh, but then I, I, I learned through that process that I also enjoy people and hanging out with people and um, effectively the business side of things and negotiating deals and doing cool new things. So I moved into a phase of business development, um, which has been the basically the bulk of the last um, eight, ten years of my, my career. So uh, I've, I've done that in the United States. I've done that here in the UK. Um, and basically trying to find a need and somebody that can meet that need and then making, making that marriage happen. 
That's a, it's a really interesting point. I was talking to uh, uh, David Baker about this exact point of people become, ex, you know, go to university, learn a an engineering skill or a, or a, or a, you know a scientific skill. And and go very very deep and do their things like their you know their masters and their PhDs and all that sort of thing. But after a while of being in a in a aerospace uh, sector, they they go into management and I, I and I never understand how you lose that um, that massive skill base that knowledge in the technical side of things uh, and then it goes to the management. Uh, level can you can you describe a little bit how that happens and 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 why it works because it seems to be that the, the normal pattern of things you know i w- i wouldn't go as far as to say it's the normal pattern but it is definitely a pattern um i think you you really find people take two paths either they just go and become an expert in a particular area because they love it so much and it's so fun to continuously do that kind of refining that skill set you have on the technical side and then the other path is what you just described, which is becoming more of a generalist or dealing with the business side more. Um, I, for me personally, um, you know, as we talk about being musicians and um, et cetera, uh, I get bored easily. Um, I like to constantly be learning something new. Um, I find that once I've learned a pattern or a process, um, repeating that process over and over again is just not, not for me. And so... The funny thing is, as much as I loved the engineering, I loved designing these spacecrafts with NASA. I loved, um, you know, uh, you know, working the the actual coding, so I could program in nine different um, languages at one point. Uh, despite loving all of that, it became repetitive. Um, there wasn't like much of a new challenge when I would get onto a new project or would work on a new satellite. Um, or I'd start a new set of code. It's like, oh, okay, this is kind of the same. Uh, and so hence moving into um, business development. And uh, then moving even into business development, you learn that there's a process to that. There's a process from taking somebody that has no knowledge about your company and what you do to learning about it and finding out that there could be a good match of meeting a need um, with your capabilities. Uh, and there's a, there's a process there. And so even as I did that, um, that became repetitive. Um, and, um, you know, so as I said, I, I get bored easily and I still, I still love business development. It's something I think I do really well, but I, I really wanted to, uh, you know, I need to continue to stretch myself and learn and do something new. And, um, um, so yeah, I think that at least that's how it is for me. So, um, I'm, so what happened next when when you got when you got bored of your of all the stuff that sounds ridiculously hard and, and unboring to me? <laughs> how, what did you do? What 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 was next? So um, I think well, what was next is I I came over to the United Kingdom. Um, so I worked um, as the space cluster development manager at the Harwell campus. Are you familiar with the space cluster at Harwell? No, we've we've never been, have we, Jamie? We we have no. to do that in two thousand nineteen. It really is on our list. Yeah. Well, consider this a, uh, a formal invitation to both oh, of you to come out, you. and I will take you around. We'll show you all sorts of cool stuff. Awesome. So, so when I was working in the U.S. and I came across this cluster, um, I was completely um, just <laughs> blown away by this concept of, hey, wait a minute, we can actually create all sorts of cool commercial collaborations around a place that has to do with space. Uh, there's nothing like it anywhere in the world that I've found. Nothing in America. Everything's very stovepiped in America. Um, 
there's not not as much collaboration and whatnot. Um, and this place, Carwell Campus, like is is growing and creating new things that are going to happen in space that have never happened before. And so that really intrigued me. So I, so what I ended up doing, I was still doing business development, but I was doing it on behalf of the industry and on behalf of the country um, and the sector. So really trying to help bolster economic growth in the United Kingdom, jobs, revenue, et cetera, for the space industry, growing companies, growing job numbers. Um, so that that's what I did for the last, uh, for about three years. Um, and then uh, over the last year, I've switched over to, like I mentioned, the satellite applications catapult and uh, really uh, have taken off on um, a couple of different projects where we're working, you know, working on combating illegal fishing, combating um, illegal logging in other countries. Uh, and then this new idea of the space store where we're going to try to bring space experience to everyone everywhere every day. And that brings this whole new kind of retail element and food and beverage element uh, and educational element that I have not previously been as involved in. So is definitely scratching my, my itch so that I'm, I, I'm doing something new and learning something new. Can you give us a, a couple of examples of, 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 of maybe some of the things where people are collaborating up at, the, up at that hub? So I think one, one of the coolest stories... Um, that I appreciated is uh, there was these two companies, um, uh, well, actually one big organization that's really well known and uh, another kind of company on campus that they basically work in completely different fields. One was space and one's advanced materials for stuff here on earth. And at the Harwell campus, we run this set of networking events called Connect Harwell, where we bring together the 200 plus organizations on the campus uh, together just to interact and engage. And these two companies met at one of these events uh, about two years ago. And then a year later, uh, they came to another one of these events and shared a testimonial of how they met at that conference or at that, at that event and then uh, are in a contracting relationship together. No, that is very, very cool indeed. Networking by location. Is it what you would call divergent technologies in a way? Uh, definitely. So they are, at least they were seemingly divergent, but then they ended up having quite a bit of synergy. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, the, the, the neat thing about Harwell campus is that you have over 80 space companies currently there and you can walk to any of those companies, like within, it's within a 15 minute walk. And many of those companies are all located, co-located, um, in a building and, you know, there's a couple different buildings that they're located in. Um, so it's just an ongoing kind of networking, collaborating environment. I was going to have a question about the space store. Um, I'm actually looking at it right now, Stephen. And something that's piqued my interest is that you've got experiences now on the website. So it says, visit us to try on a replica spacesuit and a range of virtual reality experiences. Can you, uh, first of all, tell us a bit about the space store and and then maybe tell us a bit about these experiences. Yeah, absolutely. So, so really, the, the fact that you've honed in on the experiences is the core of, of who we are. Um, you know, only 550 people have been in space to date, and that number is not going to change much over the next decade um, or even next two decades. As much as we want to see um, a lot of new space tourists, et cetera, um, let's face it, it it's it's still going to be a pretty small number of folks. Um, and so the whole vision behind Space Store is to bring space experience to Earth. 
so that there's ways that we can experience uh, whether it's weightlessness or how astronauts eat or how um, how the Earth looks from space. Uh, we want that to, to happen here on Earth uh, in a way that's accessible to folks. So that that is the the vision of Space Store, and we do that really in three ways. We do that through um, uh, experiences like you've just described. So we've got uh, currently two virtual reality experiences and uh, a replica spacesuit experience. We've got, uh, uh, we want to bring uh, food and beverage and how astronauts eat. That's the second side of, of Space Store. And then finally, we want to have merchandise that's all enabled by space. So currently, the merchandise that we have is uh, either uh, enabled by space data or uh, space uh, images. Um, there's space art. Uh, there's space uh, education. Um but, uh, you know, ultimately, we want to be selling things like mobile phones that are enabled by space. Um, you name it. If it's enabled by space, we want to we want to have it in our store. So that's that's kind of the three tenets of, of Space Store. In addition to those three things, we've got um, educational programs. So we uh, yeah, we're basically host students uh, to give them a fun, interactive way to learn about space. We have public events uh, and we have private events. So you want to know about those experiences in, in particular. Um, the, the replica spacesuit experience is basically gives people the opportunity to try on a spacesuit that um, uh, is worn by astronauts that go on the Soyuz module up to the International Space Station. That, the Sokol. The Sokol. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's called the Sokol spacesuit. And um, each, each astronaut gets a tailor-made version of the spacesuit um, you know, d- directly for their body size. Uh, and then we give people the opportunity to, to get in in the suit, see how how it's like to don it. Um, it's not simple. It's not easy. It takes two people to put it on, um, and then to walk around in it and feel that hey, wait a minute, this isn't actually meant to be walked in. It's actually meant to be sat in. Um, so you you feel that discomfort, um, and just kind of get that experience of what it's like uh, to be in a spacesuit. Um, I love it, we, that. We've taken many photographs of spacesuits, but we've never tried one on yet. Well. You will do that when you come out to Harwell campus. Ah, that, this is getting exciting. I'm also very excited about, I'm just looking here at a virtual reality experience called Alien Earth Martian, Car- Martian Cave Dive. <laughs> now so, sign me up for that straight away. You're, you're in. So when you come to Harwell campus, we'll, we'll get you set up on that. Um, Andy Torbett is, um, uh, stars on the BBC program Beyond Bionic. And he went out to some caves in France, um, strapped on the 360-degree film um, camera stuff, uh, got you know the lighting and everything set up, and basically you know went through these caves. And now you can have that experience in virtual reality, and it's voiceovered by Andy, uh, relating it to what it might be like to explore as a cave diver uh, the lakes that scientists believe are under the ice caps of Mars. And it's the pilot program, it's our pilot episode of a whole Alien Earth series where we're going to be sending Andy to the craziest places on the planet Earth, like sandstorms and deserts, uh, volcanoes, ice caves, you name it. Something that's analogous to another place in our universe, or sorry, in our solar system. That sounds absolutely mega. Sign me up. 
That's brilliant. Uh, it, if if Jamie and I are both in Sokol uh, spacesuits, would we would we have one each? In, in which case, that that sounds like it's our new front cover to me. We can take some pretty cool pictures of you uh, in that's it. A yes, of, we have a hell of a profile pic. We we actually have four spacesuits. We have two adult sized. We have one um, junior size and one kid size because we again want to make space accessible to everybody. So. It's not just for kids. It's not just for adults. It's for the whole group. But ja- ja- uh, Jamie, you're, you're you're the kid size, right? I was going to say I'll take the I'll take the junior, and Matt can take the adult. <laughs> we have two adults, so you're good. You're good, guys. That's amazing. So, Stephen, what what's coming up in the next uh, first quarter of 2019 for you that 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 you can share? That's exciting. So the exciting news about quarter one 2019 is we're, we're focusing all of our endeavors around setting up our research and development center at the Harwell campus. So ultimately, we want to have shops um, in high streets, uh, shopping centers all across the, the globe. But before, uh, but while we do that, we're going to need to constantly be creating new experiences, new merchandise, new food and beverage, and working with partners like the partners at the space cluster at Harwell campus. We want to be their retailer. And so what a perfect place to set up a research and development center and be able to work with them and test new products, test new experiences. Uh, so that's, that's the big thing uh, that we're focusing on. And as we develop that over the, the quarter, uh, the first quarter of 2019, we're going to be doing pop-ups all around Oxfordshire, uh, Berkshire, um, and beyond. So we're uh, hopefully going to be coming to a place near you uh, for the listeners out there uh, where we're going to bring what we have, bring our spacesuit experience, bring our virtual reality experience, bring our products, um, uh, so that you can get a taste of what what we're all about. That's amazing. So, where can people go if they want to find out about the space store? I mean, the space store is just spacestore.co. Is that right? Yep, spacestore.co, and you'll find out that. all about us. We've got um, events on our website, so you can find out about what's coming up in the space industry over the course of the next uh, four to six months. Uh, we've got uh, kind of a we have a live stream that we feed from the International Space Station. Uh, you can uh, book an experience. You can look at uh, some of the products that we're selling. Uh, yeah, that's 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 the place to go. The other place you can go is that we are located at Harwell Campus at the Satellite Applications Catapult. Um, so you're always welcome to visit us out there. We've got a little uh, little shop there. Um, and we all, we're happy to talk to anybody and, you know, do the, do the experiences and share about space. Check out the amazing things on this website because you're going to get some excited loved ones if you buy some presents from here, trust me. What's your favorite item on the store? My favorite item, as well as our best-selling item, is definitely our 4D, um, our 4D uh, augmented reality cards. So this is fun for all ages. Uh, um, so basically... Uh, adults, kids, you get these this pack of cards, and you download this this app, and you suddenly are taken away to space. So you've got 26 different cards that show you the solar system, the planets. You get to see the Apollo mission taking off, the Soyuz mission taking off. Uh, once it, it, it's so hard to to dis, to see it uh, online and understand what it is, but mm. every time we show somebody in person, uh, it like I said, it's our bestseller. We sell so many of them. Um, and if you're a kid between the ages of 3 and 12, or you're looking to shop for a kid between 3 and 12, you can also buy the, uh, with the cards the virtual reality mask, and they can do a virtual reality tour of the International Space Station and also a tour through space, uh, as well as there's tons of free virtual reality um, apps online that 
they can download for other educational and uh, entertainment purposes. Oh my God, Matt, I've been a good boy all year. Please, can you buy that for me? Yeah, uh, don't worry. Don't worry, Jamie. It's in your, it's in your stocking. <laughs> What's your, uh, okay. uh, I'm going to ask one, one last question, and that is, what is your favorite space fact of all time? Yeah, I was, uh, I was thinking about that. Um, so many awesome space facts. Um, how about I just give you a couple that I, I, I think are, are pretty fun. A couple is fine, yep. You could take our Earth and you could put 1.3 million Earths into our sun. That's how big the sun is. That's how small we are. And they they talk about the overview effect in space, and I think that that alone gives me the overview effect. And actually, if you go on our website, you'll see we actually have a a piece of art devoted to that, where it shows the Earth to scale with the sun, um, but you only can barely see the curvature of the sun. Um, Now, thank goodness we're not that close to the sun as the picture depicts, otherwise we'd all be dead. Uh, but I, I, I just, I find that just so fascinating. Um, I think another fact that I get, uh, that, well, let me just call it as a fun fact. I mean, maybe it's not my favorite fact, but people all, you know, I, I ask people this question a lot is, uh, what's the hottest planet? And nine times out of 10 people are like, Oh, what's the closest planet? Mercury. Oh, it's gotta be Mercury. And, uh, the answer is actually Venus. Venus is, uh, the surface temperature on Venus is much hotter than it is on on Mercury, and and the rationale and the reason behind that, I think, is is a is, you know around the the whole idea of greenhouse gas effects, etc., um, is is something that should wake us up here on Earth when it comes to thinking about did, how we treat our Earth. You didn't happen to see the <laughs> there was some, I can't I can't remember who it was. It was some American senator who's been using that. He said, "Well, Venus has got." loads of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere and the planet's still there. That's his argument for not doing anything about global warming, is Venus. <laughs> that's that's pretty pretty silly. Um, yeah. <laughs> that, yeah, that's not quite the way that argument should work. <laughs> <laughs> no, he somehow managed to co-opt your argument to, 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 the, to the, yeah, don't believe in global warming. Uh, yeah, wow. it's cripplingly yeah, embarrassing. It's... Let's name and shame that <laughs> Peter DeFazio. <laughs> <laughs> he was unreal. Yeah. Uh, so, what? What this year? As we're wrapping up the year, it's it's the end of 2018. What was the most exciting thing that happened this year? Do you think in space? So you've probably got this same response from so many of your guests. Uh, I've got. I've got a feeling. I know what. It's going to be. I mean, um, <laughs> yeah. I mean. It, it has to be the SpaceX uh, Falcon Heavy. I mean, yep. that I was literally jumping up and down on my couch in excitement. I am literally witnessing history. That is something that will mark um, you mark my my generation. Um, you know, as as the Apollo missions did for others before us, uh, and the shuttle before uh, after that. Um, that that was just absolutely um, amazing. And my good friend, shout out to Lauren uh, Lauren Lai, was uh, the broad one of the broadcasters for that for SpaceX, and that was really cool to to watch her broadcast that while uh, while it was happening. Fabulous, yeah. The the I think that is my favorite moment. Yeah, of last year was definitely the the two boosters coming down like pair of ballet dancers yeah Fantastic. surreal amazing as a, as a control systems engineer so somebody who knows how you know how pointing systems work uh, uh absolutely phenomenal job spacex they did a, a just 
uh, yeah, I can't say anything more than just all respect to them for that. Stephen, you're new to the show, so uh, you won't know this, but obviously you're, you wait till you get home and you're in a safe environment. But because you've mentioned SpaceX, you have to do a shot of drink every time you mentioned it. So I think that's what, Matt, six or seven shots for Stephen? <laughs> well, it's a good thing my wife got me a gin advent calendar. So oh, I've there we go. It. Perfect. Got lots of shots waiting for me at home. <laughs> can I do those shots with tonic water, though? Because, you know, I, yeah. Oh, yeah, I like I think absolutely can. Because yeah, any of our younger listeners, please advent calendar responsibly. <laughs> <laughs> what are you looking forward to in 2019? What, what do, you can have more than one answer, but what do you think is going to be the exciting, the really exciting moment of 2019? I think there's, uh, there's a couple. So personally, on our journey for Space Store, I think we're going to have our first store uh, sometime by the end of 2019. So that I'm really excited about. Um, a place for people to go and experience space. Um, I think the uh, I think Virgin's got got something up their sleeve. So I think we're gonna we're gonna probably see something really cool uh, come come from Virgin um, Galactic. So uh, I'm I'm rooting for them. You know they uh, frankly when I graduated uh, university they you know Richard Branson was a huge inspiration for me. Um, and what he was doing, I actually went out to scale uh, composites and you know saw what they were building and what they were doing, and uh, so I really, I think that'll be exciting this year. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that. That's a great call, though. Yeah, Virgin Galactic. Absolutely. I feel like I feel kind of like they're they were un, you know not given the credit that they were due this week, like and you know their huge success. I was like, or this last week, um, I, I, it's it's huge, and I think that's going to be uh, going to hopefully take more of the limelight in in 2019 yeah it's been quite downplayed hasn't it virgin galactic and 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 actually the same with virgin orbit there is a chance of course we might see an orbital launch from the uk in 2019 via virgin orbit unlikely but there's a chance there's a chance apparently apparently there's a chance Uh, okay (laughs) yeah i i i do i do hope for us to be able to launch launch from the uk in 2019 i i think one of the things people have to remember when it comes to launch is it is hard it is so hard and so the fact that it's taken virgin as long as it has i don't think surprises any of us in the space industry and if they're successful in 2019 for getting a launch out of the uk i mean that's we need to give them some major props but i also think we need to have some expectations um and know that it's you know what it's hard and it's going to take a while and that's okay, but fight the good fight. We'll get yeah, there. Absolutely. Am I right in saying though you're actually driving at the moment while doing this? Oh yeah, through the uh, back country of Oxfordshire. Yes, that is absolutely incredible. We've never incredible. had. We've never yeah. had. The, I've I've done a I've I'm, I've done a podcast from a stationary car, but I've never done it from a from a moving vehicle. That's incredible. <laughs> well, I am using hands free, so totally fine. There we go. Safety first. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Well, that's absolutely amazing. Yeah, thank you, Stephen. This is wonderful. So we should catch up in 2019 and, um, yeah, have a great break. Awesome. There we go. He's just great, isn't right, he? Right, right. We've got our trip to Oxford planned soon. There we go. We have to go. So we'll, we'll be up there soon. Jamie, to keep this short, what do, what do listeners have to do to uh, tune in? Easy. iTunes, review, become a Patreon, go to our Instagram, hit follow, like, subscribe, recommend the podcast to a friend or a loved one or a family member. Yes, and remember, 
the doomsday's only round the corner. So live your Just life. Live your life. Live the podcast. That sounded like some awful corporate language that would be on a poster, Matt. Live your life. Live, live the, the podcast. podcast. I like the way you say podcast and I say podcast. That's because I speak properly because I'm from the well, South. Well, Shakespeare would have said podcast. Yeah. But I'm just saying. Him. Right, shall we go? Tune in next week where we will have all of the stories. From Maybe Orbex. some videos from Orbex. Have a good weekend, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. bye, bye. bye.